Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Two things I'd like to make really clear before we get underway. Sometimes, as a leader, you think something is obvious, and you discover that what you thought was obvious isn't obvious to everyone. So I'm going to state something that I thought, a couple of things that, that, that I think are obvious, but just in case they're not obvious to everyone, um, I'm going to state them so that then they can be obvious, I hope, to everybody. The first is that our Burlington vision is to help you, our Burlington vision is to help you be the church with the people and in the places where God has already put you. What that means is if you sense God nudging you to do something about the people and in the place where God has put you, then we will do all we can to encourage you, to empower you, to help you. In other words, if there's a missional vision or something bubbling in your heart, or you sense God pushing you a little bit to step out of your particular boat, to mix my metaphors, then we would love to do all that we can to help you do that. Please, please, please come and talk to anyone, and they'll point you in the right direction. Contact the office, talk to a member of the ministry team, and we'd love to support you in that way. Together, we can be the church, can't we? In our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in the networks of our town. Great. Second thing that I hope is obvious, but just in case it isn't. Burlington is a place to belong. So much more than a weekly celebration, which is what this is, We gather together in communities across the town and beyond, sharing our lives, growing as followers of Jesus, and seeking to reach out to the world. We'd love everyone to be part of a community like that. Again, please, if you're not, uh, we'd love you to be. And again, contact the office, contact the member of the ministry team, elbow someone next to you in the pew, and we'll make sure that you get personally connected and personally introduced. Okay, trailers and everything over. New series based on the book of Mark. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four uh, stories of the life of Jesus. Jesus changed the world, undisputed. 2,000 years on, we're still talking about him, writing about him, singing about him. There are still plays about him. And more people today follow him than ever before. How cool is that? But who is he? And am I sure that I understand him? Or has my view, has our view, been in some measure obscured by various filters, by various layers of human opinion or tradition or uh, popular thought? Mark wrote the first account, as much as we can tell, of the life of Jesus, taking eyewitness accounts from those that walked most closely with him. In some ways, although you might disagree with this statement by the end of this morning, in some ways, Mark's gospel is simple, straightforward, and succinct. In that sense, it's as close to Jesus as we can get. No filter. So let's get going. Verse 1. Are you ready? We get straight off. This is the good news. A counter-culture movement of good news. We live in a society, and so does the rest of the world, where bad news is what makes the world go round. 
Everywhere we look, people are talking about, gossiping about, wooing about, standing back about, expressing news that is bad. Terrible news everywhere makes the world go round. You'll notice it if you have little children or children that become old enough to hear and understand and you're in the car and the radio is on. What is murder, mummy? What's rape? A few weeks ago, we were in the car. It was a real low parenting moment. And I turned the radio on, 5 o'clock p.m. on Radio 4. Can't go wrong, can you, Radio 4 listeners? Well, how wrong I was. It was that evening that, um, his name escapes me for a moment, that serial paedophile who was in the football uh, industry, you know, the coach, um, uh, had, just been, had just been convicted. And it went on and on and on. And you can't turn it off because everyone goes, what? what was that? What was that? Turn that back on. So you just act like, and it, you know what? Everywhere is bad news. Everywhere is bad. This is a good news movement. And it needs to stand in absolute contrast in a world where bad news is what makes it go round. Am I good news? We're just getting off the starting blocks, but I'm challenged before we begin. Am I part of a good news movement? Am I good news to my friends? And am I good news to my neighbours and to my work colleagues and to my family? Is my missional community good news? Is my church a good news church? There's another side, of course, to the good news movement, and we'll come to that in a moment. In fact, Paul put it this way. He says, to some, we're good news. He said, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Uh, Many of you are reading the New Living Translation these days for uh, a bit of a freshen up on old words. And it has this lovely phrase in the NLT, we are a life-giving perfume. How do you smell today? Turn to the person next to you. Where this week could you be more life-giving? You are a life-giving perfume. Where this week could you be more good news? You're hoping I'm going to keep talking so you don't have to, but I'm going to stop right there. Okay, we're this week. We're this week. Could you be more life-giving? Agree with the person what you're actually going to do. And make sure they've got your mobile number so they can text you within the time frame of the week just to make sure you've done it. Sure, the irony is, the irony is that we can also hack people off because we are good news. You know when you're feeling miserable and someone who's on top of the world comes into the room? It's that type of frustration. If you're not a morning person, you hate it when the light comes in because you're comfortable in the dark. And when people are comfortable in the dark, we hack them off when the light shines. But it's your job to shine. And if you shine, two things will happen. Some will be drawn to your light and others will be pushed away from it. That's fine and to be expected. That's the normal life of Jesus. But let's not lose the main thrust of what we're saying. Are you a life-giving aroma? Let's move on. Uh, I realize that we're going to do a whole chapter a week. It seemed like a good idea in the dark recesses of my mind. Um, uh, You've been crying out, though, for longer sermons. I I did a poll, a random poll of a sample of me, and and I discovered that you're desperate for it. So it's it's a good news movement, firstly, about Jesus. It's a good news movement, firstly, about Jesus. Church can be about meetings and friendship and music and coffee and singing and social activity. Church can be about a charity and membership reviews. Remember that? Hope you've done it. Policy, finances. 
Church can be about putting on events and advertising them and running a team and employing staff. But it's got to be about Jesus. Your life can be about going to work or trying to find work. Doing a job or making ends meet or trying to be happy or meeting friends or raising a family or buying a house, enjoying a hobby or just surviving each day. But it's got to be about Jesus. The Bible's brilliant, isn't it? And I hope that we'll see the brilliance of the Bible just in Mark's simple book. This verse, this is the good news about Jesus, could also be translated, could also read, this verse is good news, which is Jesus. There's a sense in which the language here is, is, is perhaps deliberately by the Spirit of God, ambiguous and vague, but as you go through the whole, um, the whole of the book, it's clear that the good news is not just about Jesus, the good news is Jesus. Buy a house if you want, get married if you want, succeed in your career if you want, travel the world if you want, stay in every night and watch soap operas if you want, but the good news will elude you without Jesus. Go to church if you want. Join in all the activities. Mary had a little lamb, she also had a sheep. They both joined the Baptist church and died of lack of sleep. Help out, work hard in a Baptist church if you want. But without Jesus, this life, this good news will elude you. Good news is in Jesus because good news is Jesus. And that's proper preaching right there. Good news in Jesus because good news is Jesus. And if you're not excited, enthralled, enraptured, energized, educated, empowered by Jesus, somehow along the way, you and I have missed it. That's why to help us, we're going to spend five months in the book of Mark. We can be in church, but not in Jesus. We can be in community, but not in Jesus. We can be in religion, but not in, re- in Jesus. Christian education, but not in Jesus. We can listen to Christian worship songs, but not be in Jesus. All too easily, you can listen to podcasts and great sermons and great preachers every week and not be in Jesus. All too easily, I cannot be in Jesus. Uh, this uh, last week, uh, as I do every fortnight, um, some of you know that uh, huddles is the way we try and train and develop leaders. Uh, what we do here, we also uh, submit ourselves to ourselves. So I'm in a huddle with some senior leaders around the country every fortnight. And we're talking just this last week about what it means to be in Jesus. And there is a revelation, if we're honest, that if you're given a day with a list of things to do, particular personality types, mine being one of them, would find greater satisfaction, greater salvation in ticking everything off the list than being with Jesus. You with me? Or are you going to leave me hanging out like I'm the only one who feels like that on the planet? You with me? It's so easy to do everything but be in Jesus. You can even prepare a sermon and not be in Jesus. Did you know that? But don't tell anyone because it's a secret. Okay? In Jesus. Okay, so we, we're, we're just doing two words. First verse. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> you? hope so. Well, okay. Tough. Good Christians come to church. I'll just deal with it. The word good news, euangelion, is the Greek word. Euangelion. That we translate gospel, and modern translations translate good news. But it's packed with meaning. Good news in English is quite bland, isn't it? You can say good news for all kinds of things. Good news that Sarah and Ben have had a baby girl. Good news, I bought chips last night. Good news, they came through the operation. Good news, Anton Decker on the telly tomorrow. You see, so good news can mean a whole breadth of things. But this word, this amazing euangelion, was used at the birth 
of an emperor in the ancient world. Used for that moment that a God, we would say small g, they perhaps wouldn't in the same way, a God, someone divine had been born and life would never be the same again. Used of the birth of Emperor Augustus for example. First use of it. Second use of it, in the Hebrew Old Testament, Euangelion would announce the inbreaking of God's kingdom, the coming of God's salvation, so that everything changes and nothing would be the same again. How cool is that? So we're a few words in and we're, we've got the gospel all packed out. But the best one, I think, is this. Imagine you're living in a city, in an ancient city, and you see, because you've got watchmen on their walls, that in the distance there is an army coming to attack you. And you go, what are we going to do? And you get your army together and you send your army out to, to, to attack their army, to fight with their army, knowing that whoever wins, you will either be saved or completely destroyed. When the army that you have sent out wins the battle, a messenger is sent back with the good news of the victory. It's called a euangelion, same word. And what it means is this, a victory has been won for you. How cool is that? They send a message back to the city saying, you don't need to live in fear anymore. We're not going to die. We're going to live because someone has fought and won a victory for you. This is the euangelion about Jesus. There is someone, his name is Jesus, who's fought and won a victory for you. We win. Someone nearly clapped then, and then you thought, no, I'm going to stop right there. That's way beyond my social comfortableness. Good news. A victory has been won for us. We're not going to die. Everywhere you look in the world, it looks like we're going to die. It looks like the enemy is approaching. If you put a watchman on the tower of our culture, it looks like all kinds of enemies are coming against us. Of godlessness, of lawlessness, of plurality, of throwing moral compasses out the window. The powers of evil are gathering against us. We will be overrun and we will be conquered. No, there is a Galian messenger. His name was Mark, who's sending a message to people like you and me and says, do not worry, the victory has already been won for us. Come on world, throw your worst at us. When death is near, when our bodies don't work, When tragedy strikes, and in no sense do I want to make light of the pain and agony of all of those things and so many more, but a victory has been won for us. Hallelujah. But notice something else. It's not clear in the English, but it is clearer in the Greek. And I I know when people, preachers say that especially, you tune out, don't you, smarty pants, waffling on about Greek and all that nonsense. I did get to know a little Greek at college. He made great kebabs. I did actually get to know a little Greek at college. And um, there was a point when I could read the New Testament in Greek and all that nonsense. Two things you need to know about that. One, learning to read the New Testament Greek does not help you be closer to Jesus. That's good news, isn't it? So that was a complete waste of time, wasn't it? In a way. I mean, not completely, but in a way. Second thing is, you don't need to read the New Testament in Greek because you can do what everyone in the whole wide world does when they don't know something. What do you do? Google it. You can Google it. You don't need to know it. You can just Google it. Let me show you because I Googled it just to show you. Okay? So you can Google it, go on this website, biblehub.com, and you can look at the verse, you can look at it in English, you can look at it in Greek, you can follow the words, you can do a whole load of stuff. See, this here, this is the where the, oh, I didn't mean to do that. <clears throat> See, this is the Greek there, that's a Greek word, that's a Greek word, all the black along there, and then you've got the, is this tracking? Oh yes, it is, that's very clever. Isn't it? And, the, and the red red is underneath, and you can do all kinds of things. You can have hours of fun, you can waste your whole life doing that. 
Um, But the call is not to do that. The call is to follow Jesus. But look, notice what it says right here. The beginning. Can you see that? One word, the beginning. Now that doesn't come through very clearly in your NIV Bibles in the pew, does it? It says this is the good news. And you don't get the word beginning until right to the end, as if referring to Isaiah. But it's wrong, and you can see that it's wrong, because you can see it here. The beginning. Right, so, think. Pause for a moment. Think about, they're writing in a Jewish culture, where their Bible was the what? Bible was the Old Testament, particularly the Torah. Okay? So, when you start a book going, the beginning, what's everybody thinking about? Creation. Boom. The beginning. In the beginning, God. The beginning of the gospel. What's the writer saying here? He's saying that as Jesus comes beginning and bringing this news, this uh, good news, there is a new creation of good news that is underway. There is something new that's being created that will not only uh, mimic what is already in being, but will supersede it, a new creation. And if you look around at perhaps the brokenness of your life or the frailty of your body or, or where this world isn't quite right, you long for that moment when it's made new. It's great to have things repaired, isn't it? But there's a little child in all of us. When you take a broken something to your parents and they say, we'll repair that, and what you wanted was a new upgraded one. (laughs) And, And we're just all little kids inside. So we don't want ultimately things to be repaired. We want some new upgraded something, don't we? The good news is this, that there is a new creation underway. I'm not just going to be patched up. I'm going to be totally new. A new creation is underway. A new season, a new reign, and his name is Jesus. Look how Mark presents it. You've got your Bibles open in front of you. You've got your pew Bibles open. Hey, bring your own Bibles. Remember I was saying that some while ago? Bring your own Bibles just so you can know that it's in your Bible and you can see it in your own Bible when you get back home and know that it's there and all that. If you haven't got a Bible, take one from the pew and take it home uh, with you today as you go. Um, Our gift to you. Walk out with it and just say, Simon says, when someone stops you at the door. Verse 10. Okay, Mark chapter 1, verse 10. What's the page number? 1002. 1002. Okay, verse 10. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Heaven torn open. Apocalyptic. Something is happening that's affecting even the heavens. Something's happening that's affecting even creation itself. And the Father God is present because he speaks. And the Spirit is present because he comes down like a dove. And Jesus is present. The three people of the Trinity. When was the last time in the Scriptures the three people of the Trinity were so clearly articulated? Genesis 1. Absolutely. See what Mark is doing. You see, you might be guilty of thinking, oh, John is the one that makes all the connections. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He wrote that so it would sound good at a carol service. But they're all doing it. In their different ways, they're all saying something is happening that's bigger, certainly bigger than Jesus, bigger than one single human uh, race. Something is happening that's bigger than humanity. Something is happening that is affecting the whole of creation. Jesus is introducing, uh, Mark is introducing us, and he's the most earthly gospel writer of all, i.e. focuses more than any of the others on Jesus' humanity. Here, he's making very clear that this is the cosmic Christ. The whole created order is about to be changed. Something is happening that will change everything. I will be a new creation and this whole world will be made new. Then Jesus is driven into the wilderness, verse 12. 
At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Okay, so who sent Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. So who's in charge in this new world order that Jesus is bringing in? The Spirit. Jesus is in charge. Into the wilderness where the enemy, the wilderness, the dark place, the the place of struggle, the place of doubt, the place where the enemy is understood to rule. Who's in charge even in the wilderness in this new created order? Jesus is still in charge. God is still in charge. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Something is happening. Something is happening where at the end of that experience, does Jesus succumb to temptation? No, he conquers it. And the wild animals that would normally rip him apart are tamed by him. Something new is happening that affects the whole world. Those are direct uh, uh, connections to Isaiah 11, I uh, suspect, where the, uh, it prophesies about a, a new day of creation when the wolf will lie with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat and a kid will put his hand in a viper's nest. Why he'd do that, I don't know, but he wouldn't get hurt. Why? Because the wild animals that tame the whole of creation is changing. Because of Jesus. This is not some new tin pot religion. This is something of global significance. And the angels were there as well. Another way, just chuck that in. And the angels attended him. I'd like to have seen that, wouldn't you? The heavens are involved. The cosmic Christ. And don't miss the fact that the biggest act of liberation in the Old Testament was what? The Exodus. What's the one event that dominates the whole of the Old Testament? It's the Exodus when God takes them through the wilderness out into the promised land. But we know that the Old Testament wasn't the real deal. It was just a sign of something that is to come. And Jesus comes up out of the wilderness. How cool is that? You couldn't make this stuff up. A new day is dawning. Something is happening on a global scale. No wonder Mark reminds us what Jesus was preaching. The time has come. You don't say. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Change the way that you think. Stop thinking that we're doomed. Stop thinking that we're lost. Stop thinking that it's hopeless. Stop thinking that bad news is what makes the world go around. Change the way that you think and believe. Believe is an active belief. Believe so much you can't help yourself but do something about it and live out this new good news way. That's basically what he was saying. A new creation, a new reign, a new epoch that will change everything, redeem and rescue the whole world. And of course, it's not just words, is it? Or empty hopes or dreams. Before the chapter is out, Jesus has taken authority over the demons. Look at this in verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it brilliant? Even the demons knew who he was. Jesus is so in charge of everything that's going on. He is so global and sovereign and Lord. Even the demons can't help but admit who Jesus is. The personification of evil ironically knew that in Jesus their time was up. Their work was undone. Their day was over. Such is the reality of Jesus. And so Jesus just says basically with a word, shut up. Shut up. No, it's literally what it is. Shut up. And he shuts up. And he calls him out. and, And he comes out. Not surprisingly, the crowd are amazed because they're used to preachers just waffling on and not being able to do anything. No, that's true. That's not. I feel you're laughing at me now for a moment, but this is what it says. The people were all amazed. Verse 27. Who is this guy? He says the stuff, but it's real. He not only says it, but it's got some power. And do you know, do you know what? I was thinking this morning about the whole Billy Graham thing and... Um, uh, uh, Mark Richardson was way ahead, wasn't he, when he named the, one of the rooms in the church halls up there uh, the Billy Graham room a few years ago because it was timely because now all the Baptists that are named up there are dead. So it all kind of works out. 
But do you know what? I don't know why I said that. It sounded good in my head. But, but, but do, you know, do you know what? Do you know what? The, the biggest legacy, in my opinion, of Billy Graham is this. Not that we return to crusade evangelism. The biggest legacy is that we believe in the transforming power of the gospel the way he did. Every Christian does in their ordinary, everyday lives. That will be the biggest legacy. And actually, I haven't had time to write it, but that's what he passionately believed in. Some amazing kind of uh, uh, written stuff of Billy Graham's about, about if only Christians could grasp the power, the transforming power of the gospel in their ordinary, everyday lives. A new creation is underway. And they were all amazed because it came with such power. And so then in the middle of it all, you get these verses that we're so familiar with. The calling of the first disciples. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. All the stuff we know about being a disciple. Come, follow me. I believe that you can be what I am, is what Jesus was saying. I believe you can be like me and embody what I embody. And if he embodies good news, then he believes that we can be good news. Sometimes that takes a lot of faith, doesn't it? To believe that Christians and churches can be good news. But he believes with all his heart that we can be like him, that we can be the good news that he was in some small measure. But only as we allow the good news to transform us can we become transformers with the good news. We cannot pass on what we ourselves have not received. And so this good news is all-encompassing. It's everything. It, It requires all of me. I need to be all of Jesus in order that I can pass all of Jesus on. It touches the whole of my life to be like him and to share it. So the heroes are those who have most fully embraced Jesus and most fully passed Jesus on. And so we need to celebrate those heroes in our ordinary everyday lives. So much more to say. Let's do this. Okay, here we go. Three more points. Mark is saying something quite profound about the good news. For Jesus, the good news is for everyone. Notice it there in the verses. This chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1. We've got these opening verses that kind of set the scene. Just beginning to tease with what they were saying. And then see how the rest of the the chapter reinforces all that that Mark wants to to leave with us in this opening, uh, getting off the blocks thing. Let us go somewhere else to the near, so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. There was an urgency for Jesus to reach not just those near, but those far uh, away. An urgency to gather everybody in. We, We know at sunset, the people brought to Jesus, not some, but all who were ill and demon-possessed. What, what the good news that Jesus is embracing is a good news of, of no divides, no, no, no race division, no gender division, no status division, no economic division, no one too high and mighty, no one too low, no one too rich, no one too poor. But this is a good news that's going to embrace all who will be drawn to the life-giving fragrance of Jesus himself. And it's a good news of power, not just talk. A good news of power, not just talk. They were so amazed. And so we read about the voices in this chapter. The voice from heaven that wrenched the heavens open. The voice that silenced the demon. The voice in a moment or two that cleansed the leper. And in this world of talk, 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 talk shows. And politicians that talk, 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 talk. And preachers that talk, 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 talk. And podcasts that talk, 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 talk. Where's the power? Jesus says the power is right here, in me. I am the good news power. Without me, just talk. Just empty words. Just meaningless noise. And so a final twist. 
as we come into land to end this chapter uh, this morning. The good news is held in a crucible of love and compassion. This good news is held, is embraced, is supported, is surrounded, is hemmed in, whatever kind of language metaphor you want, in a crucible of love and compassion. Mark's gospel, as we will see, is super dynamic and fast-moving. Mark is incredibly brief, although as you can see, he packs quite a lot in what he's saying. Very brief, his most frequently used word is what? Anyone know? Immediately. He uses the word immediately over 40 times. It's like there's a rush, there's an urgency to get on to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. Something is starting that will never stop. But as we get to the end of chapter 1, something really interesting happens. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If it was a movie, the pace would have slowed right down. The camera would have zoomed right in. There would be mood music in the background. And there would be like a pregnant pause. You would be drawn into the action as the whole thing goes to half speed compared to Mark. A leper has just approached Jesus and has asked if he is willing to cleanse him. What does it say? It says Jesus was indignant. Jesus was offended. Jesus was hurt and wounded that the leper did not know the overwhelming love and compassion in God's heart for him. Jesus was offended that he came, the leper, to God himself and was not confident about how he would be received. He was unsure whether God, whether Jesus would be for him, whether Jesus would help him, whether God would love him. And and Jesus was wounded, hurt by the knowledge that the leper, and presumably in our story and for Jesus, the leper stood for the thousands, if not tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, who live with that uncertainty that if they were to come to God, they are unsure how God would respond to them. And he's hurt and he's wounded by it. The greatest gift, apart from Jesus, that my parents ever gave me was the knowledge that I was loved. I've never doubted that I was loved. And and I appreciate the more the years go on and the more people I get to know, what an incredible gift that was. But there was a day when I was a child when I was angry. I I don't know what it was about. And, And to my regret, I challenged my father as to whether he loved me. I was only a child. It was a childish moment, angry because I couldn't have a second sprout or something like that. (laughs) And I challenged him as as to whether he loved me. And I knew as soon as I had said it that I had hurt him, that I had wounded him perhaps deeper than I'd understand. It was unfounded. It was unkind. It was a childish, a kid-like thing. It meant nothing to the kid but everything to the adult. You know what I'm talking about. Hurt for him by the thought that there was ever a moment when I would not be utterly convinced of his love for me. And I remember him sitting me down and talking about the way it had hurt him and sharing that with my mum and and, and all of that stuff. How much more does it hurt God when we're uncertain about his love for us when we come to him? How much more is the heavenly heart heavy and wounded because he knows that we come unsure of how we will be received. 
And I suspect it hurts the heart of God more than we ever know. Good news is better than we ever dreamed. He's willing. The good news is better than we ever, ever dreamed. He's willing. Let's be quiet. Give me, Lord, a bigger picture of what Jesus came to do. Give me, Lord, a bigger sense of his greatness, of his grandeur, that this good news is life-transforming and of global significance. Something new has begun. A momentum has started that will never end. Until that day when I'm new in your presence and the heavens and earth have been renewed themselves and the Lamb at the center of the throne will be our shepherd and he'll lead us with springs of living water and God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. Good news. And for every sign of good news in the here and now, every time Jesus heals, every time Jesus forgives, every time Jesus reaches out to the broken and the hurting, every time Jesus says a kind word through his people, we celebrate the good news that is here and is coming. The kingdom that is among us and is yet to fully come. And in all our doubts and in all our uncertainty and in all our fear and trepidation as we edge towards you, Wondering what God thinks. How will I be received? Will he love me? Does he like me? May we hear the words of that leper. I am willing. And may we feel how deeply our uncertainty wounds the heart of God. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure.